Welcome to Code Monkey Talks. It's a podcast for things that interest technologists. I'm your host, Brian Jackson, and with me is Brian Demers. Hey, how's it going? Good. How are you? Great. Good. And uh, this week, uh, joining us is Matt Stein uh, from Pivotal. Welcome. Hey, thanks for having me. Well, thanks for joining us. Um, uh, So the show is broken down into three segments. Um, We have... Uh, basically uh, some in the news uh, sections uh, at the beginning. Uh, we also then will talk uh, deeper with uh, Matt on what he's been doing. And then uh, later we will leave uh, you, the listener, with something to do. So with that, let us uh, get into in the news. So our first segment is about current events, and we call it in the news. We each pick one news story we read about recently that we'd like to discuss. Uh, Brian, why don't you go first? What's uh, your uh, tech news? Sure. Uh, so mine is is uh, Deus just got uh, picked up by Microsoft. Uh, I don't know any of the specifics of the deal, um, but um, so Deus is like a microservice PaaS. Um, it's pretty similar to Flynn. I, I haven't played with either one of those in a long time. We had Jonathan um, Rittenberg on a few episodes ago. Um, so it's in that same sort of space. Yep. Um, so it's obvious, you know, Microsoft's obviously been going after the 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 container market, and, and you know, with, obviously with Azure. And uh, I'm guessing Matt might have something to say about that whole uh, space in general. But um, I just thought it was really interesting. I saw it, and uh, it's I mean, it's great for them. So yeah, it's really exciting. And you know, it's funny in reading the the press release. I hadn't re- realized that they had gotten uh, acquired by Engineard um, back in in 2015. So. I I hadn't either. <laughs> yeah, so so that was news to me. <laughs> you know, um, not from this week, but apparently uh, um, interesting nonetheless. And um, I tried. Uh, you know, I played with uh, Deus. Actually, we had yep. played with Deus um, a few years ago uh, at ESPN, and uh, you know, it I. I I love the Heroku model of deployment, and this was, uh, you know, really in that space. Uh, they've seemed to, over the past few years, pivoted to be very about being a Kubernetes-specific um, versus uh, where Flynn has kind of gone the uh, bring-your-own um, uh, uh, container management uh, choice uh, to yep. the game. And so... Uh, I'm excited about Deus. Like, uh, you know, Kubernetes is definitely seems to have the biggest cachet of the options um, these days. And so I think they kind of hitched their, their, you know, their cart to the right horse, um, at, at least as of 20, you know, early 2017. And um, uh, this, this, I think, only kind of um, adds to that. Matt, yeah. what, what are your thoughts? Oh, seems like, seems like all roads lead to Kate's these days. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's been an interesting thing to watch. Um, I have actually uh, not been surprised to see the battle in the uh, container scheduler space continue um, as long as it has. I was, I'm actually a little more surprised that um, that Kubernetes has has as quickly as that it was. As quickly as we went from there was an actual um, kind of war going on to mm-hmm. everybody just kind of, you know, with the exception of Mesosphere themselves, is kind of anointed 
um, you know, the, the Kubernetes ecosystem, um, the winner. And, um, you know, even Pivotal has, um, you know, started to get involved in the space a little bit by uh, creating this um, um, offering called Kubo, um, which is a uh, Bosch deployed um, um, uh, not it's not a distribution of Kubernetes. So it's 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 your straight up Kubernetes, but deployed with Bosch. Um, mm-hmm. So kind of trying to solve the well, you know where where originally Bosch was. Well, you know you think how did how did Heroku deploy Heroku? Um, how did uh, Cloud Foundry uh, uh, deploy itself? And uh, it, it turns out to be really useful for translating. You know, kind of the 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 infrastructure of a cloud provider into a service, right? So a lot of people struggle with, okay, I like Kubernetes, but I don't really know how to deploy it. I don't really know how to manage it well. Right. And um, so that's kind of, you know, one of the problems that, that, that Kubo is trying to solve. But, you know, not so much to talk about that, but that ecosystem seems to be where um, everybody's trying to go and get a little piece of the action, um, to kind of ride that wave, whereas you know, if you looked, you know, a couple of years ago, everybody was trying to get a piece of the uh, of the Docker action and ride that wave, and yep. um, you know that that wave seems to have crested a little bit, and now we're on. So you know, it's it's interesting. Um, I I don't spend a lot of time down there. Um, I spend most of my time um, up above um, that layer, uh, thinking about the applications that we're actually going to build and run um, on that infrastructure. Um, so I'm not as learned as I used to be in this space, but generally, uh, um, it's, it's exciting and interesting to watch. Um, especially as, you know, I think people are, you know, going to finally figure out, okay, how do we turn this into an enterprise service? And then it will be a very interesting, um, thing of watching, say, um, uh, a, a, a cloud foundry distribution compete head to head against a Kubernetes distribution really strong. I mean, I guess that's kind of what Red Hat has done with OpenShift, right? Um, but I still haven't seen that turn into like a uh, a uh, a really head to head kind of cage match fight. Um, and um, you know, it's it's been pleasant, but uh, <laughs> we'll see what happens. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I think there's a uh, there's so much growth still to kind of do, and 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 uh, mature, maturing of, uh, these various options, uh, in this space that, uh, I think the next few years, it's going to be very interesting to see how uh, it all plays out. All right. So, uh, moving on, uh, Matt, uh, what did, uh, you want to, uh, talk about today? Yeah. So I was kind of, uh, bouncing around a few sites to see what might be interesting to talk about and, um, came across, um, a, a piece about a blog post from, from Amazon, um, that was on InfoQ about um, Amazon adding some um, new features to their um, Aurora stack, which is kind of their you know MySQL compatible um, database engine, as they call it. Um, mm-hmm. And um, what was interesting to me about that particular post was um, the you know kind of cross region um, features. That they've uh, that they've thrown into the platform. So they've had for a while that you could um, you, you could create encrypted databases, um, which is kind of table stakes for a lot of people at this point. It's like I'm not going to put data into any cloud provider unless it's encrypted, and in fact, I can probably control the key um, for that encryption. But um, 
you, you while you could do that, um, it wasn't possible to actually create um, read replicas um, of that encrypted database um, in another region. So um, so now they've added that feature, and um, that that's interesting and, and cool, and probably a lot of people are going to get use out of that. Um, but it, it generally points to um, a, an interesting thing that um, that I'm enjoying seeing, which is that the providers are really starting to bring first-class cross-region support um, to a lot of these data services. Um, it, it's for you know if you, if you kind of watched what a lot of the companies that are really um, hot and heavy into we want you know, redundancy and resilience that spans multiple geographies. And, um, you know, you've, you've been able to do that work for a long time now, but you had to really have deep expertise in how to stand up these services yourself and then create um, the replication across regions um, and then build applications to use those things appropriately. And there's, there's just a lot that goes into that. And, you, you know, if you're... Uh, if you're a company like Netflix that has been working on solving these problems now for more than a decade, um, you've developed that expertise. Um, of course, I'm working with the companies that have done it the old way and are trying to transition into doing it um, the new way, and um, they just don't have that expertise in-house. Right. Um, so um, you know the um, the the stuff that Google's been doing around having several, now they've got kind of a special um, gift in that they own um, and, and provide their own bandwidth, right? Yes. Um, so they have a lot more control over things like um, latency between regions and so forth. So they were kind of leading out of the gate with, oh, well, here, here we have a, a menu of services that, you know, you can turn on cross-region features out of the box. Um, but, you know, now you're starting to see um, Amazon adding that to some of their offerings, Um I don't really know much about what Microsoft is doing, but in general, um, more and more of the customers that I'm working with are just, you know, they're kind of of the mind that we have to be able to operate in multiple geographies. Um, we don't really know how to do that. Um, help us. And um, that's a tall order. Um, so when you can go to a service like this that kind of has, you know, a lot of these features now starting to be offered to where, Oh, well, that's just a part of how this works, and you don't really ne right. necessarily need to have deep expertise in how. You just need to understand, well, what are the, uh, you know, what are the, uh, the, the SLOs and SLAs around that, and what can you expect the behavior to be, and then start to leverage that within applications. That's a really uh, um, nice enabler um, for companies that, you know, really don't have deep expertise in um, distributed databases. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Anything you can do to you know remove friction, right, from people getting things out there and and, and building applications that are uh, you know more redundant is uh, is key. Yeah, because you know I think a lot of smaller companies who are using you know some of these uh, cloud providers like uh, AWS, they're they may not have the operational expertise, right? It's it's uh, you know they've got um, 
you know, development expertise, but being able to um, get some of this cross-region re replication, they might realize that yes, they want to they want to be in multiple regions, but they're not entirely sure how because uh, a lot of some you know these these pieces aren't out of the box. Um, so yeah, it's very cool with uh, something like this, like Aurora supporting cross-region replication, uh, S3 bu uh, buckets having um, uh, re cross-region replication. Um, uh, these are these are the type, types of functionality that uh, you know if you're if you're stateless in your server but you're able to replicate the data um, you know you're getting a lot of uh, the you're, that's that's like the first the first part of going uh, multi-region indeed uh, what I want to talk about this week is uh, last week actually um, Jenkins uh, released 1.0 of Blue Ocean, which is their new UI for for Jenkins, uh, the uh, continuous integration server. Um, it's uh, it, it's a, a UI they've been de developing for I think it's under a year now. I think it only might have been about six months ago, or at least that it was on on my radar. And um, you know, for people who are using Jenkins that have uh, a pipeline uh, set up, so they're using something like a Jenkins file to set up stages, and uh, you know that uh, you know do the build, and then or, or, or copy the data, do the build, um, you know push that build somewhere, uh, run tests, um, you know <laughs> probably not in that order. Uh, that uh, you can actually set up a pipeline uh, and and have uh, these stages uh, as part of Jenkins, but the UI has been pretty clunky for a long time, just as the, the rest of, of Jenkins UI um, compared to uh, some of the competitors like Team City or, or um, you know, for instance, uh, uh, Circle CI, Travis CI. Um, it's definitely the clunkiest of all the UIs. And this is uh, a big internal project uh, to reinvent that and focused specifically on uh, having a, a nice visual representation of, of the... Um, uh, the the pipeline stages and uh, I think it's great it's it's it looks beautiful I think they, they've done a really good job um, it's still I think missing some of the functionality particularly like outside of the 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 pipeline um, type of project um, but uh, I think it's a great step in the right direction for Jenkins because I think that's always been the one of my sore spots with it um, it's it's excellent as far as the community that's been built around it and and finding plugins uh you know kind of for every every possible idea but um as i talked on earlier episodes i i have some issues around the jenkins file and the discoverability and browsability of of the steps that are available for jenkins file like i feel like that i hope they they put some time and effort into uh improving that um but uh as far as user interface I think the Blue Ocean um, uh, release is, is great. And it's released as a plugin. You install the plugin, and um, and then you get kind of an optional uh, UI that you can drop. You can always drop back to the classic UI um, that Jenkins has uh, as of right now. So uh, have either of you looked at this, either of you Jenkins users, uh, you know, uh, I, today? I have, I have not personally. Um, so I'm Jenkins has always been a little, one of those things that I love to hate. Uh, it's <laughs> not so much because it's terrible. I mean, it's free. There's a huge ecosystem. Like you can install plugins, like you know, all, all day to all, all day, right? Like, um, right. But I think the problem is is part of that. So when people start adding, you know, defining their builds with Jenkins plugins and things just you know spiral out of control, and 
and uh, so I think that's why um, I have I have my bias, right? Um, so it's not so much the tool. So I'm really happy to see you know like the, these things coming out. Um, so so new UI is good. The Jenkins file is good. Um, all these things are are definitely um, you know making it so I, I'm. I, I feel like I have to at least explain my my love to hate, you know? <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, so I, exactly. I, I haven't spent a whole lot of time uh, with Jenkins lately because we decided to go off and build our own uh, uh, continuous delivery pipeline platform at, at Pivotal um, called Concourse. I don't know if, uh, if you all have seen uh, Concourse. No, but we will definitely have a link in the show notes. Yeah, so, uh, so concourse.ci. Um, and, um, that was, um, partly created, I think out of, uh, we really, really tried to Jenkins and it just didn't work out. Mm -hmm. And then we really, really tried to, uh, to go CD and that also didn't work out. Um, and kind of built out of the frustration of, you know, trying to do CI CD around, um, we're not we're not doing this for for apps, you know, web services, whatever. We're trying to build um, a massively distributed cloud application platform, yeah. and um, kind of in doing that with the you know the number of number number of engineers, number of different teams, number of different projects, number of different uh, uh, pipelines and complexities and different types of automated testing that we needed to be do, done. Um, really pushed a lot of these um, platforms um, to the limit, either in terms of scalability or, um, in some cases, just ability to define in a cogent way, you know, what it is that um, you wanted to express in that pipeline. And so, um, you know, it kind of started as um, some folks' side project that they did in the evenings, like, oh, let's just explore this problem and um, went all the way from that to not only the way that all um, Cloud Foundry engineering teams at, at Pivotal do CI and CD um, for their work, but um, now a, uh, a product that um, we actually um, offer to our customers. And um, I mean, it's, it's a complete open source. Um, you can get everything um, that way, but we do uh, kind of a supported commercial, um, not so much a distro, but you know, here's a way of installing and managing this thing, and 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 we'll support you around that. And um, it's it's um, it's been a really nice um, experience um, enough that I really haven't thought about any other tool in this space hmm. um, for I would say at least um, two years now. Um, just trying to say, you know, I'm going to use this tool in anger, and when it doesn't do something I want, I'm going to provide <laughs> yep. feedback to the teams that are working on it because, you know, ostensibly they're in the same building, and um, and we can get these things done um, a lot easier than maybe I could do um, trying to influence a huge community um, around a tool that you know everybody's got an opinion and and um, what I what I really think is interesting is just. Um, the um, the abstractions that that team has managed to create are incredibly clean and simple. And at first glance, it looks like the tool doesn't do anything. Yeah. And that's actually part of the beauty is that it doesn't do anything, so it's capable of doing everything um, in, 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 in many ways. So, uh, 
yeah, if you haven't checked that out um, and you're listening, um, it, it, give it give it a shot and uh, see what you think. Yeah, I am. Uh, so uh, as you're you're telling me about this, I'm actually looking at the site and uh, uh, I clicked through to ci.concourse.ci, which is the live instance, and yes. I'm like drooling like this is exactly the interface that like uh the ui and the ux that i i want uh in a uh, in a, a a cd pipeline it's now you have cool. to like yaml you have yes to and really i and like i love yaml, YAML. if you uh, love I, yaml you're gonna yeah. be very happy in this world if you yeah. hate yaml you're gonna hate your life yep um <laughs> yeah i think that's gonna be a dividing line uh, you know over the over the next couple of years of the people who hate yaml based tooling and and those who love it because uh, I think the people who love it really love it, and I'm one of them. So yeah, we 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 like to call ourselves enterprise YAML architects. <laughs> <laughs> That's I'm telling like you, what, what was it? Uh, you know, around the early 2000s, you know, XML was this thing people put on resumes, right? So YAML yep. is just just the new XML. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I've <laughs> been it. endorsed for XML at least once on LinkedIn, <laughs> right? Yep, not more. That's right. I need to I need to add YAML to my to my LinkedIn fact, profile. It, you know, I it's, completely it's forgot. Time to go check and see exactly how many times that I've been endorsed for XML. <laughs> awesome. If I can, well, if I can cool. Even find that section. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Well, I, I uh, thank you for introducing us to Concourse. Like this is uh, this yeah. is awesome. Um, yeah. I think it dovetails nicely with the uh, the news article about uh, about Blue Ocean and the and the new Jenkins UI. So Great. for those Great. looking for new options. Um, there's there's many out there so uh, and we will definitely have links in the show notes all right so that brings us to uh, our interview segment with uh, matt so uh matt before we uh dive in and uh I'm, i definitely want to hear uh kind of what you're up to and, and what you're working on um but what i like to ask all of our guests uh because devops is very different to different people different definitions um but how do you personally define devops so this was the easiest thing for me tonight because I actually defined it in my book. Um, Yay! So, so I'm so I'm going to cheat and just read to you how I defined it. <laughs> yeah, um, please. And um, so uh, so the, what I wrote down a couple years ago um, was was DevOps represents the uh, the idea of tearing down organizational silos and building shared tool sets, vocabularies, and communication structures in service of a culture focused on a single goal, delivering value rapidly and safely. That was the definition that I wrote down, and I still actually like it um, now uh, a good two years later. Ah. Uh, maybe change the wording around a little bit in a couple of places, but um, it still seems to be working well for me. Very nice. So, so of awesome. course, you gotta, you got to give a shout out to your book. Yeah, yes, plug I, it. I, I, I'm happy to do that, um, and and I st I don't I don't know that I'm going to make any more money off this book. So this is completely uh, completely selfless at this point. Um, so um, a couple years ago, I uh, wrote a very short book, um, 56 pages, um, with O'Reilly called "Migrating to Cloud Native Application Architectures," and um, it has managed to through various mechanisms. Um, go pretty viral. I mean, when you when you have uh, the strange experience of walking past a pool at a hotel and you see somebody sitting by the pool reading your book on architecture, um, that's that's just a very <laughs> surreal um, experience to go through. But it happened, and that's awesome. That's <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, it's 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 freely available. Uh, you can find it on uh, 
Pivotal's web st- website. Um, O'Reilly has it on theirs, obviously. Um, I think VMware and Nginx also have. Everybody's got to give me your name and your email address, and I'll send you the PDF kind of thing set up. So it just kind of depends on who you want to get spam from. Yep. Um, you can uh, you you can pick, and I and most of them are actually uh, pretty tame compared to some of the the link bait that's out there. So um, so, but yeah, I um, I actually um, make a habit of of once a year. Um, you know, kind of going and reading back through it since it's short, you know, just to see, you know, am I still, do I still think the same things that I thought? Right. Um, am I still happy that this is out there? Yeah. Um, and, and so far it's, it's holding up pretty well. I mean, there are some things that I would say a little bit differently today, but, um, more nuance and wording than anything else. I think the big picture is, um, you know, still pretty much agrees with what I think today. Um, all you can fit into 56 pages, right? If I had written 300 pages, I'm sure there was stuff in there that I would hate at this Mm -hmm. point. But, um, yeah, you kind of have to boil things down, um, pretty, uh, pretty, pretty tightly to, uh, to where there's not really much that can hit the cutting floor when you get down to that, um, that short of a work. And, you know, so it's, it's been good. Cool. Absolutely, that's great. Very cool. So, so the def- the definition is great too. I mean, it's uh, it 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 gets into it, right? I mean, it's the the whole point is is uh, you know, breaking down the barriers. Yeah, well, I mean, if you're going to go out and you're going to write a definition for something, you know, it's got to be kind of dense and <laughs> right. uh, and and be be very careful about it. And uh, yeah, I uh, I I I kind of shied away from um technology and tooling and i I did say shared tool sets but i didn't really talk about what those were you know you don't see the word automation in there Hmm. um actually i think a lot of that stuff um is really um symptomatic of of maybe you know i hesitate to say it this way but doing devops um yeah for me it's it's far more about um i really enjoy i don't you know i know y'all are probably familiar with uh, the Phoenix project and yes, right. Um, and then kind of the follow-up, more academic treatment of some of those topics in the DevOps handbook. And I really like the three ways. Um, and and when I'm really you know going through the the introduction um, to DevOps to people, um, I like to start there because um, honestly, it really takes me back to a lot of the historical underpinnings of, of why that culture um, kind of grew up the way I think that it did, um, you know, kind of being based in, you know, lean thinking, the early formulations around agile and how do we, um, you know, th- this was a group of people, I think, that were really focused on how do we bring operations into this world. Um, but I think have consequently managed to bring DevOps in, or I'm sorry, de- uh, development into um, the world that it really needed to be in as well as, you know, we're, we're not just trying to write some code and ship it and call it done, but, you know, this kind of whole life cycle, right, of, uh, of you know, dev to ops or business to customer or um, Mary Poppendick's way of talking about it, you know, kind of concept to cash, of uh, we, we've got this flow of value 
And then we've got this kind of reverse flow of feedback telling us, are we doing good or are we doing poorly? And um, allowing us to kind of course correct. And then kind of that third way of, okay, once we figure out how to make that cycle complete, of turning that crank um, repeatedly and, um, and, and experimenting and trying things and realizing, hey, if we get it wrong, we know how to correct that now. Yeah. Um, and if we get it right, we know how to do more of that. Right. Um, yeah, exactly. And, and if we don't even know, you know, oh, so we don't even have any idea of, of what's going to be right. Well, let's try three things in parallel. And um, that's not hard and expensive for us because we've done the work to make doing that easy. Yep. Um, and to make, you know, making the right choice based on data, um, you know, uh, the, the apparent thing to do, the right thing to do, the easy thing to do. Um, so, uh, so yeah, I think that is the thing from the DevOps world that has stuck out most to me is kind of a, let, there's all these really good ideas that have come from different disciplines um, where we're really saying the same things in yes. principle. We're just using different words to talk about it. Yes. Um, I'm really interested in language um, and, and how we communicate about ideas. Um, most of my focus now is, is in kind of the software architecture space, but the same problems come up of, you know, we don't know how to talk about things. Yeah. Um, you know, we've got this, this microservice word that is, you know, been floating around in the industry now for about three years and um the uh, the signal to noise ratio has actually gotten far worse than it's gotten better um in in my estimation and um and we could talk about that if you're interested in it or we could talk about anything else yeah uh, no <laughs> that, that i think that's really great i mean one of the things that i've been uh, kind of struggling with uh in my day job is um I, i'm at this confluence of the visual effects industry, the game industry, and then I'm bringing kind of my history of web, you know, the web development in industry to it. And, um, and that's exactly right. There's so much that we can reuse. And so this is just in kind of software development. Uh, there is, there's kind of a disconnect in language uh, between just different um, industries. Uh, and so I think being able to kind of distill and, and, come up with the glossary of terms uh, and ha and having a shared language is one of the things that I'm I'm finding myself uh, you know struggling with uh, on a day-to-day -day basis because uh, you know what uh, VFX might call a pipeline um, you know uh, somebody might call us you know a, a, a workflow uh, in in web development but and, how does one uh, get to say that they struggle when they go to work at Star Wars <laughs> <laughs> I get, am I am I not allowed to say that, right? So uh, uh, no, I mean, there's everybody's got problems. It's just I was I was trying to remind myself where you are these days. Yeah, and I looked. I was like, oh yeah, I ref I'd forgotten about that. I'm gonna yeah. Have to tell them, yeah, you've got no problems. You get to go to Star Wars every day. It, yes, the the products we're working on pretty cool, pretty cool. Um, and and it's it's pretty cool being in in X Lab, uh, ILM uh, ILM X Lab, where we're talking about like VR um, immersive experiences, and uh, and so it's it's game industry stuff merged and 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 trying to um, being uh, married with uh, with visual effects uh, ILM side of the house, uh, um, and so 
it's interesting just how with those two different, you know, people from different, uh, those two different sides of the industry, uh, there's a lot of disconnect in just how, how we speak and, and the language that we use. So anyway, I'm, I'm just trying to echo uh, exactly what you're saying is that, yeah, that even within quote unquote software development industry, if you, if you're focused on, on different, um, uh, uh, output, you know, different, different industries within that or that, yeah, you can be struggling with, uh, I guess I shouldn't say struggling. You can be challenged by, uh, you know, <laughs> how you solve the uh, the 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 wording uh, of it all. So great, yeah. Anyway, uh, enough about me, <laughs> and I want to hear more about Matt. What uh, you know, kind of what your day to day is like. Uh, you know, tell us. I, I think so. Uh, for listeners who aren't familiar with uh, Pivotal, maybe give them a little rundown of exactly what Pivotal is and uh, your role there. Yeah, sure, no problem. Um, so. Um, so Pivotal, um, I'm starting to actually not have to explain it from first principles um, anymore, which mm-hmm. is nice. Um, I, I, you know, I, we, we met on the conference circuit, and um, yep. I, uh, I still do that same circuit. Um, that's eight years in now for me on the No Fluff Just Stuff tour. Um, but wow. um, for about, I guess, well, we just had our fourth birthday at Pivotal on April 1st. So really fun day to start a company. Uh-huh. Congratulations. And, um, yeah, thanks. Um, it's It's been an interesting ride. And um, so I used to ask people if they'd heard of Pivotal, and nobody had heard of Pivotal. Nobody knew who we were. Now, uh, most of the time I walk into a room, people actually um, know who we are, at least um, in, some, in some way. Um, but... I'll go ahead and start at first principles just for fun. Yeah. Uh, there, there were these, you know, these two companies, um, that, um, existed VMware and EMC. Um, one of those companies no longer exists as an independent entity after, uh, um, Dell, uh, technologies came along and, and slurped, um, that whole portfolio up yeah. in a way. So there, there is a sense in which I actually work for Dell. Um, um, although we are very much an independent uh, entity, um, Dell uh, Dell owns. Um, uh, they are the biggest shareholder, I guess. Um, we're privately held still, um, still waiting for that big uh, big IPO to hit. You know, uh-huh. We'll see what happens. Um, but um, really, got started as a bunch of um, technology um, product areas and services that. Um, if you kind of looked at the history, almost all of these things had come together through various um, M&A deals. So, um, you know, you had on the VMware side, you had SpringSource, which had bought um, a, a few different uh, startup companies. And then VMware um, kind of slurped that up. You had EMC um, that had purchased kind of the Green Plum, Green Plum Parallel um, Postgres database for big data type things, and and they had picked up Pivotal Labs, um, which is you know kind of our namesake um, for the entire company, and um, you know we were kind of all thrown together into this bucket and said figure out what to do with all this stuff. Um, of course, VMware had started the Cloud Foundry project um, uh, like two years, two three years previous, and. Um, but had not really productized it um, in any significant way. And um, we really didn't know what we were. Um, now, fast forward to now, and um, you know, if you've heard of Pivotal, you've probably heard of it through 
Pivotal Cloud Foundry or Spring, yep. or both. And, um, um, of course, we still have Labs um, that um, does a lot of interesting things. We still have um, a lot of the uh, the data product offerings are still around. Green Plum is still very much around. and um, But, you know, kind of the, the flagship um, products for the company have kind of become clear around kind of the Cloud Foundry and Spring space. Um, but really... I think, you know, we, we have our tagline now, which is, you know, we're, we're discovering uh, uh, better ways of, of developing software by doing it and helping people do it. And um, we really see ourselves not in the role of traditional vendor so much as we want to be a partner with uh, the, the companies that we're doing business with. We want to be um, a trusted advisor um, to the companies that we're doing with. So, you know, if, if you're having problems with our tech, obviously we want to talk to you, but if you're having problems with integrating other tech into your um, kind of effort to do DevOps, do continuous delivery of, of value, um, people talk about digital transformation as a, you know, really buzzwordy way of, of, of discussing this, but, you know, just are going cloud native whatever it may be, how we want to describe that journey of, you know, figuring out how to build um, business value around technology um, and, and um, you know, kind of making software in many ways the primary engagement model that you have with your own customers. You know, mm-hmm. we want to be, you know, kind of the, the, the tour guide and the advisor and the mentor on that journey and really work with you. And, and I'm very privileged that, um, I get to do that um, for for several customers. Um, you know that um, I, I I gave a keynote at O'Reilly Software Architecture Conference last year, and as part of an exercise to make a point in that talk, I tallied up um, all of the Fortune 100 companies that I've done architecture consulting with in the last two years. Uh, came up to 16. Hmm. Um, so you know, getting to see the inside of um, 16 different. Um, Fortune 100 companies um, across five or six different industry verticals. Um, so, you know, I've been in banking, I've been in retail, I've been in telco, I've been in media, um, I've been in insurance, I've been in industrial manufacturing. Um, and, and being able to see, you know, kind of um, the the different struggles, but also the common struggles um, across, you know, all of those different verticals and the problems that people are trying to solve to get to, hey, I'm doing business like um, Amazon, not because necessarily that um, I want to be like Amazon, but maybe Amazon's my direct competitor now, um, and and I want to be able to uh, um, to do business like they do because um, you know they're 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 not out to play nice with me, <laughs> so uh, mm-hmm. you know I need to come and bring my A game as well, but you know so. You know, I didn't think of myself as a software company before, but it's pretty clear that Amazon's a software company, and um, I probably need to figure out how to be one too. And so, um, and so, I get to do a lot of uh, that journey, um, specifically focused on the area of software architecture. Um, you know, so figuring out, you know, how do we build these large-scale systems? Um, how do we um, architect for DevOps. How do we architect for continuous delivery? How do we architect to exploit um, 
cloud infrastructure and kind of the uniqueness of that. Um, you know, we and you know, microservices is part of that. Again, I right. I'm not a big fan of that word. Um, it, yeah, it's it's a, it's an ugly word to me. It's a it's a word that I use to be a part of conversations that I otherwise wouldn't be a part of. <laughs> but um, I try to get off of that word as quickly as possible because it's um, th- there are a handful of buzzwords today in the industry that you know I used to say. Oh, you know, agile was cool until people started trying to sell it. And yeah. then they kind of diluted the term very quickly. Microservices got diluted a hundred x faster than Agile ever did. Yeah, and um, to the point that I've walked into multiple big organizations that are trying to define microservices, so that when they teach, say, ten thousand developers that they have working for them, you know how to go build things, that they actually have a, voc- a shared vocabulary. And, and that's the thing that really, you know, keeps me up at night is that we don't have a shared vocabulary for talking about how to build these systems. Like, I can't go yeah. from ESPN to, um, to, to, to Lucasfilm and know that I can use all of the same words and they're going to mean all of the same things, can I? Yeah. I mean, uh, it's just, it's, it's, it's hard. And, and multiply that by... Basically, every company that's building software right now, um, we don't have a shared vocabulary. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's hard inside the doors, but then you start bringing people in. It's like, oh, we need to go hire some microservices experts to come help us do this. We hire a bunch of people, and nobody actually can talk the same language. Um, it's, 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 uh, it's, it's, it's a big challenge right now. Yeah, no, that, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, I've, as I have experienced that, that, even within a company, you can have uh, teams that, that don't speak the same language, don't have that sh- same shared vocabulary. And, th- and then you add all the, the other nuances, like different different languages, right? Um, languages as in programming languages or or, 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 uh, or speaking languages for that matter. But um, all, all of these things, we all have um, common ways of doing things, but they're, they're unique to, um, like I said, programming languages and it's hard to cross just those boundaries and those guys are working right you know next to each other as you know compared to company to company or or um uh business to business or or um yeah so just it's it's tough it sure is um go ahead ahead, matt sorry i was gonna say i I had one you know last anecdote to kind of tack on to that so you know, I was sitting in a in a in a big bank, um, largest bank in the U.S., and um, you know you could probably figure out who that is pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. But I'll be uh, I'll be uh, you know plausibly um, anonymous here. Yes. And um, we're we're having a conversation about um, microservices, and. One person, you know, the, the person across the table kind of gave this definition, and I said, I, "That's completely wrong. Um, there, there's, there's nothing uh, that this is that's not right at all." And and here's why. And 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 she's, you know, kind of said, "Well, no," you know, and, and she kind of added some nuance to that. And I said, "Okay, well, okay, I, I can see that. Well, what about this?" And we kind of went back and forth, back and forth, around and around, and we finally came to the place where we realized that. We both believe the same things. 
and we both wanted to do the same things. But the terms that we had ta attached to different parts of that conversation, um, I had chosen to use the same words in different places than she had. Mm. And we eventually kind of had this realization that, oh my gosh, we're saying the same thing. We're just doing different, uh, we're just using different words um, to talk about it. And it was simultaneously very satisfying because we're like, okay, cool. We, we understand it. We can go forward. Yep. But at the same time, you're like, why did we have to spend 30 minutes to figure uh, that out? Exactly. Right? <laughs> Wasted all that time, you know, just to, just to fi figure out you're saying the exact same thing. I, I've been in many uh, conversations and meetings like that. So I completely relate to that. Well, that, uh, that is a great way to kind of, and uh end our interview uh matt um so matt i would i really want to thank you for joining us today uh where can our listeners find out more about uh you and and what you're working on yeah so um i i have a uh, a landing page mattstein.com that i'm um a little bit behind on on updating over the last couple of months it's just been busy but i try to keep um all of the things that you might be interested in finding of mine from, you know, writings to, uh, conference presentations where I'm going to be. Um, and, um, uh, you know, maybe even links to videos of talk people are like, where's the video recording of this thing? I'm like, okay, I'm going to sit down. I think I did this a few months ago. I'm going to aggregate all the content of mine that I can find yeah. in one place so that people can actually find it without, uh, um, spending tons of time on that. So, so awesome. that's all there. Um, if you want to uh, yell at me about anything, um, at M. Stein on Twitter is probably the most effective way um, to do that. Huh. Um, I, I, you know, people follow me a lot um, on Twitter. I see it looks like I'm 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 approaching 3,500 followers. I apologize to all of those people that if you're looking for really you know deep you know ideas. You know, I usually kind of use Twitter primarily as a way to amuse myself. Yeah, yes. Um, in in many ways, and sometimes I'll tweet things that are completely um, crazy or off the mark just to see what people do. Um, so so um, so you might see some inconsistency, and you might see some uh, some contradictions there. But you know, um, as uh, was it um, was it was it Emerson that said. Um, do I contradict myself very well? Then I contradict myself. Um, <laughs> that's uh, that, that's kind of how that's kind of Twitter for me. I, um, I like it. So, but but if you want to yell at me about anything, that's probably sending me an email is like dev null. So okay, um, it, it's just it's it, Twitter I'm surprised it is. that uh, I actually responded to you. Um, you caught. You probably sent it like when I was at the top of my inbox. Oh, look, cool, Brian! Ah, I got lucky before you'd you'd done. Uh, you know, inbox bankruptcy. That's I, exactly. I pull that every now and then. Inbox bankruptcy, bankruptcy. Like once, once every couple of days. It's just kind of oh gosh, yep. burn it all down. Yep. <laughs> nice, nice. Yeah. Well, thanks a lot, Matt. This was this was really great. Um, so I can be found as well on Twitter at Brian Demers, all one word. Yeah, and uh, I can be found on Twitter at Jackson, J-A-X-Z-I-N. Uh, but before we go, let's leave our listeners with something to do. So this is where each week we'll leave you, the listener, with something to watch, read, play, or try out some other way. Brian, what did you want to leave our listeners with? 
All right, so I just finished uh, a book. So I was I did a bunch of traveling uh, this past week. So uh, I cranked out an audiobook. It's called We Are Legion, We Are Bob. Um, so it's the Bobaverse. So it sounds actually kind of lame. Um, Audible had suggested this book for me for a long time, and yeah, I was like, you know, it's Bob. Like, I mean, that's that's every, you know everybody's uncle or joke or uncle or whatever, right? So, um, but a friend of mine highly recommended it. So I chewed through it. It's read by Ray Porter. Um, Ray Porter is an amazing um, narrator. So he's done a lot of um, a lot a lot of really popular books. Um, so just that alone would be to me would be worth reading um, oh, okay. or listening to. Uh, but anyway, so so it's basically the, the quick, quick, super fast premises. Uh, guy gets his brain frozen. Um, he he uh, is woken up, whatever, a couple hundred years later. Uh, the world has gone to sh- uh, his brain or, or has been scanned. And now he's basically the he's, he's a computer program. And now he's the property of some think tank or whatever. I'm not not to spoil it too much, but that's how he ends up in a computer, right? So he ends up he ends up replicating across the the universe, I guess. Yeah. Um, in in von Neumann probe. So I hadn't heard the term von Neumann probe, uh, but I looked it up. I don't know recently, and uh, it's 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 not a new term, but it's basically self replicating, exploring uh, probes. I see. Um, yeah. So so basically, with the notion of of um, not so much the 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 blob or the Borg or whatever, but uh, you know, smart, intelligent probes to go off to explore uh, a, uh, a new solar system, replicate, you know, a bunch of times and go out in different ways. And eventually you'll explore all of space, right? That's the there, – there, there's a paradox about that as in how can we haven't found anyone else's von Neumann probes because mm. they should exist if other – you know, anyway. But um, – It's because he's using the new cross-region Aurora nah. encrypted <laughs> replication. Right, right, right. That's it. Yeah. But it's it's a great book. Uh, it's great, great narrator. It's it's. I, I think it's it, the main character was a was a programmer, um, so so it hits all the sweet spots, but doesn't go into enough of the things where you want to you know pull your hair out. Uh, right. Um, yeah. So highly recommended. Oh, that sounds really interesting. I I I, I like hearing in a you know cool sci-fi ideas explored like that uh, in depth, and so the the von Neumann probe sounds really interesting. It's yeah. kind of a. Uh, a MacGuffin for uh, the book. So uh, I think I'm going to check that out. Uh, Matt, what did you uh, bring our listeners? Yeah, I was uh, uh, sorting through the, uh, the Amazon Kindle bookshelf uh, to see what struck my eye for tonight and um, happened upon um, a really good book that I read. Um, I guess it was um, late uh, 2015. Um, the book's called The Cuckoo's Egg. Um, by by uh, Clifford Stoll. Um, it was published in uh, 1989, but it's um, about um, you know, his account of when he was working at uh, Lawrence Berkeley National Laboratory as a um, kind of a, uh, a sysadmin. Um, he's an astronomer actually by training, but you know he uh, you know when, when there wasn't I guess work to do. Um, in the astronomy lab, he uh, he was picking up side work as uh, a sysadmin, and he notices um, an accounting error in uh, in the computer usage accounts, and kind of traces that to uh, an unauthorized user, and figures out, oh, this isn't only an unauthorized user; this is a hacker who's using um, this uh, system um, to uh, kind of troll around 
and uh, try to get into Department of Defense computers. He's, you know, searching for files that contain words like nuclear and um, uh, SDI, um, which you might remember was the whole uh, Ronald Reagan Star Wars thing. Um, yep. from, from back in the day. And, um, it kind of account, it's, it's his, almost his journal of how he, um, investigated and tracked down, um, this, uh, this hacker and, um, you know, eventually, you know, you know, figured out, helped figure out who this person was and, um, and, and they got picked up. Um, so it's a really great story. Um, so if you just want to read it for the pure entertainment of it, um, it's definitely, um, worthy from that perspective. Um, especially if you kind of like, oh, remind me what it was like to operate computers in the eighties, <laughs> um, as opposed to today. Um, but I think it's an also really interesting insight into how someone, you know, kind of systematically solved a problem. Now, this was not a you know, it's not a software bug. It's not a uh, an operational outage. There's literally somebody hacking, you know, hacking into um, systems. And you might be called upon to do that. Most of us probably won't. But um, I think the thought process and um, the uh, the troubleshooting um, pathways. And I ran up. I ran into a brick wall, and I've got to figure out how to get around it, or get a get over it, or get through it. Um, and, and seeing that process happen several times, you know, I, I could really relate um, to, even though I haven't solved that specific problem of just, yeah, well, I've solved problems that are this hairy um, before, or at least it felt like it at the time. And so just kind of being able to uh, you know, learn something from, from that process um, was really interesting. So it, it kind of it is a little bit of education in there, but also um, entertainment. At the same time, and 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 of course, you know, plenty to geek out on as well. That's really cool. cool. I mean, I I think, you know, I I joke with a lot of people, and I know I don't know other people have made the the, the same joke, right? But uh, a lot of what we do is troubleshooting, right? So it's mm-hmm. it's not that we we know computers like the back of our hands. It's like we know how to Google really well. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's like ninety percent of my right, job is right, googling exactly. So, um, yeah. I don't know. It's just the the troubleshooting part. I think is is definitely the the most interesting part of of my job, or at least one of the most important interesting things. Very cool. Very cool. So uh, the the thing that I wanted to bring uh, for this week is uh, it, it's a TV show. It's not really tech related, but it's something that I love. Uh, it's uh, season three is is coming uh, in uh, like a, a week. Uh, it's a show, uh, or no, I'm sorry, it's actually this weekend. Um, it, it is uh, the Leftovers. It's on HBO. The first uh, two seasons. This is going to be the the final season um, already. It's going to be an abbreviated season. Um, the first two seasons I absolutely love. It's it's um, Basically, the showrunner from uh, Lost, or one of the showrunners from Lost, uh, is the main uh, showrunner uh, for this show, and um, it's very Lost in uh, in that sense of like uh, character drama, and I love it. Uh, it's the the basic premise is um, uh, 
2% of the population just suddenly disappears. So they just vanish. And this is kind of the what happens next, you know, what happens to the leftovers, the people who are left. Um, and uh, the the first two seasons, uh, if you have an, an HBO account, uh, you know, uh, either through your cable provider or through um, uh, HBO uh, Now, I highly recommend watching it. Uh, if uh, you don't, uh, I know it's also available on Blu-ray. And you can also, I think, purchase the first season or two through uh, Amazon Video as well. Um, but I highly recommend it. I think it's one of the best shows on, on TV. Uh, and I'm very excited to, to see how the final eight episodes play out uh, this uh, this season, which uh, starts on Sunday. So that is uh, my recommendation. Cool. Do they uh, do they release it all at once, or is it is it like classic TV? Where you have to wait it's, yeah, classic HBO. I don't know if HBO has any. Uh, I think all of HBO shows are are released weekly. Yeah. And um and this is another one of them. So uh, for the next eight weeks, every Sunday night, I will be uh, glued to uh, HBO. <laughs> well, like cool. I needed something else to watch, man. Yeah. <laughs> like I I I didn't watch that much TV until um until streaming became a thing and yep. binge watching you know became this you know zero friction activity yeah um, exactly and now now i'm like catching up on you know a couple decades of of you know couch potato skills that i that i had lost <laughs> yep um so so please gosh no more recommendations for that sounds great <laughs> <laughs> yes yeah exactly awesome. so um yeah great. well that wraps up another episode uh Remember to check out our website, codemonkey.fm. Email us at feedback at codemonkey.fm. And we're on Reddit, Slack, and everywhere else on the internet. So check us out. Yeah, thank you. Um, and uh, as far as uh, Slack and subreddit, uh, Slack, I would really love to have some of our listeners join Slack. So please, um, you know, you can find a link on the website. It's also uh, slack.codemonkey.fm uh, to get an invite. So uh, I encourage our listeners to to join us there. Uh, I think what we may start doing in future episodes uh, is uh, potentially streaming live and having uh, a conversation on Slack so uh, we can interact directly with you. Um, uh, but uh, that's TBD. I'm not sure that's going to happen with the next episode. Um, that said, this is our 10th episode. I feel like we're like a real podcast now. Um, so I'm excited. So uh Thanks, Matt, uh, for joining us uh, on our 10th episode. Yeah, um, no problem. Congrats, guys. Yeah, Thanks. thank you. <laughs> um, and uh, for our listeners, if you liked this episode, please do us a favor and re- review us on your favorite podcast finder of choice, uh, be it iTunes, Google Play, Overcast, or uh, uh, whatever is your favorite, um, because that helps us get heard uh, by more people. And um, yeah, thanks uh, for listening, and uh, we'll see you next week.